Thank you, beginners and primaries and their teachers. Appreciate that. Uh, looks like they'll give you a run for your money, Floyd, on the Jesus Loves Me song. You got it down. Amen. You know, I was thinking as I was driving to church early this morning that God has us in a season of celebration. I don't know if you've thought about that, but there's just been so much to celebrate in this last month or two. There's been a lot of uh, anniversaries that we have celebrated as a, a community, as the body of Christ, a church family. There have, been, there have been weddings that we have been able to come together and celebrate. And there's one soon uh, to come that we can celebrate. We celebrated Dwight and Pat's 50th anniversary last night. Uh, we're, we can celebrate the report that the Livermans brought back from really the Middle East about what God is doing in the lives of the Muslims. And um, this morning, really, we're going to celebrate the graduation of our kids from one class to the next in Sunday school and show appreciation and celebrate the gifted teachers that God has provided for us in this body. So it's just kind of a season that God has given us so much to celebrate. I'm sure I'm missing a lot of things there as well. But I thank God for seasons like this where we can just go from one glorious event, fun event to the next and and praise God for the work that he's doing in our midst as a community. Well, as you can see from the bulletin this morning, I'm going to do something. Even the microphone falls asleep when I start preaching. start again. Uh, what I was talking about, yeah, I'll do something a little different this morning because it is um, Sunday school appreciation, teacher appreciation and our graduation ceremony. And I put it in the bulletin there. And in, in an effort to communicate why we do what we do, I want to talk a little bit about our Sunday school program and how it fits into the big picture of the ministries of New Covenant Fellowship, And that's something that I don't do as much as I should is to remind us of, of a body. Why do we do the things we do? Because it's so easy for us just to go through the motions and to lose sight of the big picture and really to lose sight of the importance of everything that we do here on a Sunday morning. Uh, it, it, it may be it may be um, perfunctory for us, but it, it really is intentional. All the things, even the bulletin, the information that is included, everything is very, very intentional for us to try to be the body of Christ that God desires. And so uh, I want to remind us this morning on why we continue to have a Sunday school class and a Sunday school ministry. But before we talk about that and get all serious, I do want to just um, offer a few laughs here from Sunday school kids, things that have been said in the Sunday school class. There was a Sunday school teacher teaching her class, and she was telling the story about Lot and his wife. And she told the story about against how against God's will that Lot's wife, when she was fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah, turned and therefore turned into a pillar of salt. 
And uh, one of the kids interrupted the teacher and said, teacher, actually, um, my mommy looked back once when she was driving the minivan and she turned right into a telephone pole. (laughs) And then another teacher in her Sunday school class was teaching the lesson about the Good Samaritan, something that we're all familiar with. And um, so she asked the class. Now, class, if you saw a person lying on the roadside, uh, very, very wounded and very, very bloody, what would you do? And one of the girls raised her hand and said, I'd throw up. (laughs) Or one teacher asked her class, uh, asked one of her students, Johnny, you think Noah did a lot of fishing when he was on the ark? And he said, no, teacher, not with just two worms, he didn't. (laughs) And then lastly, there was a five-year-old, a preacher's five-year-old, learning in Sunday school about prayer. And um, she noticed that before, right before her father began to preach each Sunday, that he would just quickly bow his head and pause before starting his sermon. And she noticed that and um, brought that to his intent, uh, attention. And he was very proud that his daughter was learning about prayer and actually was attentive enough to notice that he bowed his head before he preached. And he said, well, well, honey, the reason I do that is I'm, I'm just asking the Lord to help me preach a good sermon. And she said, Well, how come he never answers your prayer? Mm. We'll know about that one. Well, other than humor, what kind of impact can a simple Sunday school class have? Not just perhaps on your family or your children or your church. Or your country. But what, what kind of impact could just one Sunday school class have perhaps on the entire world? Corky gave this illustration a few weeks ago in his adult Sunday school class. And he got it from John Razima. I don't know where John Razima got it from. But here is a little story about a man by the name of Edward Kimball. And he was a shoemaker. And he was a Sunday school teacher in Chicago in the early 1800s. And his passion was to preach the gospel to young boys from the inner city. And it's been said of Mr. Kimball that he personally led every student in his class to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of these students was a teenager by the name of D.L. Moody. And he, of course, became a world-renowned evangelist. In 1879, D.L. Moody won a young man to the Lord by the name of F.B. Meyer. And he was also became a very famous preacher and evangelist. And he's written some commentaries. Actually, I didn't know this until Corky shared it. But I know knew of F.B. Meyer through the commentaries that he has written on Bible books. He was from an evangelist from England. He was also used by God just to reach thousands. F.B. Meyer won a young man for the Lord by the name of J.W. Chapman. And he grew up to become also a well-known preacher. One day he was preaching 
And his preaching brought to Christ a baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday also became later a renowned preacher who preached literally to thousands and thousands of people. He was a tent preacher. It's estimated that he reached, well, he reached at least a million people. And in one of those campaigns, he was preaching in Charlotte, North Carolina. And at one of those meetings, uh, Billy Sunday invited his friend Mordecai Ham to give the messages. So he began to preach each evening. And at one of these meetings, a lanky 16-year-old lad sat in a huge crowd, spellbound by the silver-haired preacher. I'm working on it. (laughs) Night after night, the preacher seemed to be raising his voice, pointing and waving his finger at the young man who finally gave his life to the Lord. And that teenager was Billy Graham. So six men traced their gospel lineage to a man who was not a minister by trade, a man who was a shoemaker, but his heart, his passion, his gift from God was to teach kids about the message, the beautiful message of grace we find we find in the gospel. So he made shoes for a living, but he preached for the glory of God and taught. How much impact can just one Sunday school class have, not even just on our church, but the world the, the possibilities are endless when we expose people to the simple gospel message of Jesus Christ, because it has the power to save and transform lives. The big picture of why we do what we're doing this morning, the big picture of why we have church, why we do church, why we exist as a church is written up in our doctrinal statements, but can be summarized in three things. Uh, we exist in our goal and our purpose. One of them that is to exalt God. One of our other reasons that we exist and that we do church is to edify the saints. And then another reason that we exist is to evangelize the lost. And that's a, a, a unique way of presenting the biblical message as far as why did God found a church? Why does God have a church? It's to exalt the name of God so his people will come together and to edify one another and also to evangelize the lost. Of course, they're all interconnected. We, we can exalt and edify and evangelize in a countless ways. But the primary way that we purpose to exalt God would be through our corporate times of praise and worship, which we were just blessed to have and to be led in. It is our desire that when we gather and lift our voices, that sound equipment is important, instruments are important, microphone stands are important so that they don't fall in the middle and interrupt times. But the, the main reason that we have all of these things and even singers and our voices The goal is to use the tools and instruments that God has given us to lift up and exalt the name of Christ. That's why we come together. That's why we sing the songs we sing. That's our goal. It's okay if certain things fail, if our sound equipment fails, or if we can't sing that morning and our voices fail. But 
We, we, it's not okay for us to fail in exalting the Lord because that's why he redeemed us. And that's one of the reasons that we exist as the church. The primary way that we edify the saints is through the preaching of his word in the pulpit. It's really by exposing them to God's word in a variety of methods, which would include, of course, the Sunday school classroom. And I know that uh, body ministry is a way to edify people, prayer. We have our times of praise. We have our times of prayer. But the main source of edification is being exposed to the word of God. And so that's that's our intent with our Sunday school classrooms, with our Bible studies, with our retreats, with the other ministries that we have and things that come and go. It is to expose people to the God, to the word of God so that they can be edified and built up in their hearts. And, of course, the primary way that we evangelize the lost is by preaching the message of the gospel from the pulpit, from our Sunday school classrooms, through our other ministries and in our homes to our own children and in our communities to whoever will listen. We desire to share this great message of love and grace to whoever God brings our way and evangelize the lost. So that's just a real big picture of why we do church the way we do it. And it's our effort to fulfill the great commission that we have all been given as individuals and the great commission that we've all been given as gathering saints to make disciples, to go out into all the world and to make disciples. Sunday school is a very, very powerful tool that enables us to actually make disciples. Now, knowledge is foundational to discipleship. The, 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 the gospel is a message that God has given us in, in the form of words. It's, it's congruent. It makes sense. And so we, it's something that we can use our minds to know and understand. And that's the means that once we have that knowledge, for us to come to a knowledge of the faith. For us to come to a realization through our minds that we are sinners in need of salvation. So it's a message that can be understood. God's revealed himself in his holy word. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the mind has to be engaged in discipleship. And the way the mind is engaged is through teaching. It's through imparting scriptural knowledge to one another. And of course, in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked by someone very curious. What's the greatest commandment? I can see myself asking this question because I like bottom line. Give me just the bottom line of the Bible, the whole Bible. I don't want to read it all. What's the bottom line? And he gives them the bottom line as far as the, what's the greatest commandment ever uttered. And Jesus tells him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. That's the greatest. That's the first. So obviously we have to be totally engrossed and totally engaged in communion with the living God. And one of the reasons Sunday school is so important is because 
we worship and serve a living God, which means our relationship with him needs to be living, needs to be growing, maturing and thriving. And that's God's intent for us. When we come to Christ, when we give our lives to Christ, salvation is not a one time thing. Now, that one time process of of conversion, when you repented of your sins, that's very important. And that proceeds, but it proceeds a life of growth, proceeds a lifetime of pressing in to understand, go deeper and deeper, further in, higher up with the mysteries of the gospel. You know, the Bible presupposes that when we give our lives to Christ and the spirit of the living God comes into us, it, it, it presupposes that there's going to be a hunger and thirst for God. There's going to be this drive and this desire to learn more about God, this God that has so graciously saved us. And so we should expect to see it. And no, we're not going to be perfect. And there'll be times where maybe the desire's not there. But the Holy Spirit, if we jump into that river, that that pastor from Africa reminded of us this morning, there's a flow to our lives. There's a flow to the plan of history. And when we jump into that, the Spirit is always pushing us towards God, inspiring us to love God more, because that's the reason for our salvation and really our existence. In fact, when you read Scripture, you don't have to go too far to realize that God chastises those that are failing to grow, that are failing to be discipled. In Hebrews chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. He wants to go deeper. He wants to take the people uh, closer into the presence of God. To, to help them understand the incredible richness and the blessings that they possess. But he can't because they're dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who, give, who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's, it's a process and work. It does take practice. It takes effort on our part. He says again, when preaching to that challenging church, the church of Corinth, in chapter 14, verse 20. He says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. There's this pressure that Scripture puts on us to grow and to mature, to think harder, to never think, oh, I've got it now. Because God is, he, he is vast. His ways are unsearchable. There's always more of God to be had. And it's the responsibility of every single believer, every Christian, to grow in their knowledge of the Lord, to see to it that they are maturing in the faith. As a matter of fact, to, to remain complacent or to remain ignorant of things that by now we should know exposes us to unnecessary evils. Because ignorance 
especially blatant ignorance, is not a good thing. A man by the name of um, Brian Jameson is a part of Nine Marks Ministry, and they publish a lot of materials to help the church, help the church understand what a church is and how to be a healthy church. He, he noticed that there was, uh, over the decades, the last several decades, there was a decline in Sunday school attendance, and that uh, some of the churches, the decline was so great that some churches just decided to do away without it, uh, or with it, or, or change the mode of their ministry. Um, he says there seems to be a correlation between the lack of adult Sunday school and the generally lower biblical literacy among congregations. So what he has observed is that even though there were declining numbers in the classes, what was there worked. People, believers were being built up. They, they really were learning Holy Scripture in that atmosphere of teaching. It hasn't even been a year ago when Al Mohler wrote an article about it. Uh, this idea of biblical illiteracy in our day and age, it's been, it's been called a lot of different things. It's been called a scandal. Scandalous that we would be biblically illiterate. It's been called an, an epidemic. Uh, it's been called a crisis. Al Mohler wrote this article. He entitled it, entitled it, The Scandal of Biblical Illiteracy, It's Our Problem. He says, researchers George Gallup and Jim Castelli put the problem squarely. Americans reveal the Bible. They revere the Bible, but by and large... They don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. He says fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to his data from Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. No wonder we break them if we don't even know what they are. So another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the sermon that many people believe that the Sermon on the Mount was a sermon preached by Billy Graham. He says, we are in big trouble. Christian ignorance leads to Christian indolence and worse. This really is our problem. It's up to us, this generation of Christians, to reverse the course. Recovery starts at home. Parents are to be the first and most important educators of their own children, diligently teaching them the Word of God, Deuteronomy 6. Churches must recover the centrality and urgency of biblical teaching and biblical preaching and refuse to sideline these teaching ministries. Make room for this biblical knowledge. Make it a central aim of ministry and it will produce believers that are mature and faithful disciples. And then he says, we will not believe More than we know. 
And we will not live higher than our beliefs. Too many fronts of Christian compromise in this generation can be directly traced to biblical illiteracy, illiteracy in the pews and the absence of biblical preaching and teaching in our homes and in the churches. This generation must get deadly serious about the problem of biblical illiteracy or a frighteningly large number of Americans, Christians included, will go on thinking that Sodom and Gomorrah lived happily ever after. And I just absolutely love this quote that we will not believe more than we know and we will not live higher than our beliefs. And so it's a burden of this church. It's a burden of of this leadership that each member of the flock, each one that God brings through these doors Sunday after Sunday or for one Sunday would would be equipped in part that particular day would come and and be fulfilled and be equipped as a saint of God. We want all of you to be well-rounded And God offers different ministries. I'll talk about that very shortly. But we want you to be well-rounded as you grow in Christ. We want you to be biblically informed. We want you to to, to live in this world with what they call a Christian worldview. And that is understanding the world and ourselves and how God made it. What are His expectations? What am I to think about what's happening in the world and in the people around me? How would God have me to live? How would he have me to manage my money? How would he have me to work in the workforce? What kind of student should I be? We learn all of these things through God's word. And we want you to thoroughly, not just surface, but thoroughly understand the gospel of grace. Because that's what continues to change us. Preach the gospel to ourselves. It's not a one-time thing. But God saves us from our sins and he is continuing to save us from our sins and he is continuing to sanctify us, make us holier and holier so that we can be salt and light in the world. So to make that happen, we do several things. Uh, We preach God's word from the pulpit. We teach God's word from the Sunday school classes, Bible studies, retreats and and so forth. And then we reinforce it with our community groups. And each of these are tools that we think are kind of like a three-legged stool that will well-equip people. And they all play a significant role. So, for instance, in our community groups, it's different than this atmosphere, obviously. We, this isn't what takes place in a community group. We, we sit knee to knee. We sit face to face. And, and we reinforce what we've learned in church, perhaps from the Sunday uh, sermon or maybe something from Sunday school. We reinforce that and then we dig a little deeper. And in, in how is that impacting our individual lives? We're not doing that right now. I don't want anybody to raise their hand and ask a question. Then I'll lose my train of thought. I have to start all the way back at the beginning. So there's different modes. It, our community groups are designed for that, the, the personal care and all the one another's in Scripture. That's how we can apply those. And that's what our heart is for community group. We, we think that it's serving um, 
an important role in the development of discipleship in our church meets that need. And we encourage you. We know that it's not for everybody, that not everybody can attend a community group. But because we're coming at it from that angle, obviously we would want for you to be involved, as involved as you can be in a local community group where you can care for others, as Scripture tells us to do, and be cared for. Otherwise, we may be missing out on an important part of our development in that Christian community. So likewise, preaching, it's, it's essential for the life of the church. The, the Word of God must be preached, and God gifts people to preach His Word. And, and the, the aim is to... to Uh, Create a love in people's hearts so that when the word of God is cracked open, that you're just ready to listen to it. You're ready to hear from the living God. What does he have to say to you today through his man or his um, gifted person, his teacher, his preacher? And its aim is that we would all live lives that would glorify God, that we would have a desire to exalt God as we hear his word proclaimed and it builds us up and sometimes it exhorts us and spanks us and sometimes it just encourages us and we walk in here and we don't really know what God's going to do or maybe you didn't know what I was going to preach on or whatever church you attend but the God speaks God is a communicating God and he speaks to us we're so blessed to hear from a living God opportunity after opportunity so preaching has that Aim And, of course, to reach the lost as well. But preaching is limited in its role, just like community groups are limited in their role. And then you have Sunday school. Sunday school, you have a classroom atmosphere. And in Sunday school, if you hear the teacher say something that you don't quite understand, you can raise your hand and you can ask a question. Because being curious about your faith is a a very important part of growing in Christ. We have to have our questions answered. And by providing this atmosphere in Sunday school where there's a, a teacher who is ready and prepared with the material, you have a question, what does that mean? And you get an answer. Also in that classroom atmosphere, it's not only the teacher that you can learn from. We, we learn from each other's questions. We learn from each other's answers. Sometimes I'm blown away in adult Sunday school by some of the questions that you guys ask. It just—it seems to, to come out of left field, but somebody's pressing in. They want an answer about, well, how does this work in real life? Or what does this mean in light of this scripture? We're just constantly learning from one another in that kind of atmosphere. We can stop and go deeper. If I stopped and tried to answer every question about a passage, I'd never... Finish preaching. I'd pull a Nehemiah on you. I'd do an eight-hour sermon. But in Sunday school, it's okay. You can ask a question. And these guys and, and, and girls, they'll stop what they're doing and do their very best to answer it for you. So it just creates that atmosphere of hunger and learning. We also learn from our peers. We have uh, Yannicka teaching our... Well, we had the beginners and primaries class up here, but we have... Yannicka laboring downstairs teaching our primaries. And we have Pat Taylor laboring to teach our beginners. 
And we have Jerry Banton laboring to teach our, I think we call it our intermediates or our middle school. And then the junior and senior high classes combined in Francis Gilmore's laboring Sunday after Sunday. They're down there teaching the children that come and avail themselves the very word of God. And there's fruit. There's fruit from this ministry. Very evident, obvious fruit from this ministry. Um, we also have a young adults class now that's facilitated by Barbara Wine. And then we have... Corky and John Rosima tag team um, on teaching the adult class. And we've been very, very blessed over the last several years by Shirley Barrett, who has come on board as our coordinator. And we've been blessed by her enthusiasm. And she is the most enthusiastic among us about Sunday school and her conviction. This is an important thing. She reminds us what's taking place here and then her organizational skills. It is Bearing fruit, and we are very, very blessed by our teachers and our coordinator. As a matter of fact, Shirley recently shared with me that the teachers we have in place right now are so faithful. Um, they we we rarely need a substitute. We rarely need a substitute because the teachers that God has blessed us with at this moment, they apparently really like what they're doing. <laughs> and so um, the substitutes are kind of been sidelined. So in, in this kind of atmosphere, we learn very, very powerful insights from one another. We get to challenge one another. I get nervous every time Larry Barrett raises his hand and asks a question. You know, it's going to be a good one. You know, he's going to dig deep and we're all going to be scratching their heads and saying, yeah, teacher, how are you going to answer that? So. You see how Sunday school fits into the bigger picture of the variety of ministries that we have and why we do what we do. And we try to provide a steady diet of expositional preaching. We, we try to provide lots of opportunities for Christian fellowship where we can pray for one another, share our burdens, encourage one another, confront one another, impart wisdom. And insights that we have with one another. And we also promote Sunday school learning. Because we have been blessed by gifted teachers. One of the ways and the plan of God within the body of Christ is to gift individuals with a variety of gifts. To use them to build up his church. According to scripture, we need our gifted teachers. And we need to sit under the teachers that God has provided for us just this morning. I don't know where the Livermans are. Are they on the road again, Jamie? Coming back to gay. Just this morning, Jeff said, praying this for you. First Peter four, ten and eleven. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Pastor, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That means that 
The, the, the Sunday school classroom atmosphere that we have is God's plan for him to be glorified in us as a body of Christ. Something that he thought of. Very important aspect and tool to bring glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how important it is. So that's the big picture of exalting God, edifying the saints, and evangelizing the loss. Not to mention that Sunday school is a practical, a practical time to come because it's not an extra day, extra night out of our schedules. It is an hour early. Minor sacrifice, an hour early. Big sacrifice for New Covenant Fellowship people to get here on time. I will say that uh, through my years as a pastor, there have been different times where I have approached people about um, Sunday school and and perhaps why they're not attending. And I'm going to say 95 percent of the time, but it's actually 100 percent of the time when I have asked people why they don't attend Sunday school. They admit I do not have a good excuse. There's really no reason I just don't do it. And that that's sad to me because these are tools and instruments ordained of God. The church is ordained of God, they're ordained of God that he presents as opportunities for us to grow in him and to mature. And we're not utilizing things that he has placed at our disposal. I love Sunday school and it's uh, actually I'm usually teaching Sunday school in the last year and a half or so. I've just had a great opportunity to sit under teaching. Now, I've been through four years of Bible college and I have studied theology and books of the Bible and church history. But has there ever been a time that I have come and sat under somebody's teaching and not learned something new? Absolutely not. There's just so much growth to take place this morning. We learn that not only did the people of Assyria in the book of Jonah repent, but their animals wore sackcloth and put ashes on them and they fasted. They made their animals fast as well as a symbol of their utmost sincerity of repentance for their evil ways. There's just so much in there to learn. I'm always blessed in that one. Um. Seminary student wanted to be a theologian and teach theology. So he asked a very well-known theologian, James K.A. Smith. Perhaps you've heard of him. He said, how can I become a theologian? He said, oh, that's easy. Teach a third grade Sunday school class. (laughs) Another quote from Nine Marks Ministry, um, John Pennington, he said, I would argue that Sunday school is a valuable tool for conforming our churches to the image of Christ. It feeds our people the knowledge they need to grow in godly living. It complements and supplements the regular pulpit ministry. And it is able to do what other contexts such as small groups can't, namely foster rigorous intellectual engagement about a wide range of matters that are crucial to discipleship. Sunday school. It's intentional. It plays a very important part of who we are as a church, how we do church life together. Is this message a scolding? No, it's not a scolding. It's an invitation. 
It's an invitation for us to reconsider our participation, to reconsider the part that God might have us to play, to reconsider the importance of something as simple as getting here an hour earlier and sitting under the teachers that God has provided for us, for us to consider, am I growing as much as I could? Am I using what God has placed before me? As you know, we're going through a time where many churches are abandoning these kind of teachings where we really do crack God's word open and go deeper and deeper and deeper and talk about hard, tough things. And a lot of churches are abandoning that kind of Bible study ministry for more social atmosphere. And it is causing believers and disciples to just remain immature in the faith and surface. Now, I would I would argue now is not the time where we are in a culture It is not the time to abandon these kind of ministries, whether it's church attendance from preaching or Sunday school attendance. I would argue that now is the time to press in and know God's word even more because we are in a what they call a post culture, a Christian culture. There really are people out there that don't know what the Bible says anymore. And you wouldn't think if you are raised in a Christian culture, think, of course, everybody knows about Jesus. They don't. And they need to. It's our desire that we would constantly have Jesus before us, that we would constantly press in to know him and love him and that he would dwell in our hearts through faith. So I'm very grateful for the teachers that we have. I'm grateful for the students that we have. How fun is it to watch these kids come up here, to watch them grow? I did learn how to keep little Wiggly Ryan still like a statue. Just put him up front. He won't hardly move. But what a blessing it is and how grateful we are for the lives that God gives us in this church and uh, to watch them grow in the Lord. So thank you, teachers. And I just want to close by quoting Psalm 78, the first seven verses, and then turn it over to um, to Shirley. The psalmist says, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. To God be the glory and may God bless the preaching of his word.